Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. All right. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand, wave at one of our ushers, and they'd be happy to pass one to you. And once you have a Bible, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you're here this morning, you're thinking, the lighting is different in here this morning. It is different. Um, That's because lightning struck either the building or nearby it and uh, fried portions of our lighting panel. And all the lights in this building are controlled through that panel. So I'm grateful Nathan got these to work. And uh, some work, some don't work and all, but um, it's good to be here this morning. So if you're thinking, it looks different in here. It does look a little different, Um, but we're glad you're here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're in this series this summer called Apps for the Modern World. Applications, things that the Lord has spoken, verses that he's given um, over the years that literally have changed the course and the direction of my life and other people's lives as well. It's it's really neat to be able to see. um, I I started getting some of your testimonies this week, uh, verses and things that God's doing. I'm going to sharing some of those uh, with you. And somebody called me this morning and said, hey, I keep keep forgetting to send that. I said, don't forget, send it to me. So if you have a particular verse that God has used in your life through the years to really change the course of your life and a little bit of testimony around that, I'd love to read that. Just email it to me or text it or or send it to the church, whatever. They'll make sure I get it. This morning, we're going to, each of these messages stand alone, but this message does, it really plays off of the message from last week. Even though every message stands alone, these two really have to go together, in my opinion. Last week, we were looking at the scripture and talking about being offended at Jesus. And that there's a blessing if you and I are not offended in Jesus, not offended with him. And we talked about that. You say, what does that mean? And offended with Jesus, go back and listen to last week. All right, we're not gonna, I'm not going to re-preach it this week. But if we're going to wrestle with this, not being offended with Jesus, you're also going to have to wrestle with this next part that I want to talk about this week. And I know this from personal experience because of having just having walked through it and from dozens, probably hundreds of people that I've talked to through the years. So I wrestle through this fact, okay, Lord, I'm not going to be offended, offended at the choices that you make in my life. But now I've got another problem. I'm, I'm okay. You make this choice. I'd rather you had done this, Lord, but you do this, but I'm okay with that. But then I look around, okay? I look around, and I see Marty over here, and your choice for Marty seems better than your choice for me. Well, Lord, I was okay with the choice you made for me until I saw what you chose for somebody else. And now I'm not okay anymore. Now I've got an issue because, Lord, that's not fair. That doesn't seem right. As a matter of fact, I know none of you have ever felt this way, just me, because I'm, I'm an awful, wicked individual. But there have been times where I honestly would think, Lord, I actually follow you better than they do. I serve you better. But they seem to be getting the better end of the deal. Is there any other wicked people in here? All right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't point at your wife. All right. <laughs> You take him. You have my permission to take him out and whoop him. All right, all right. Um, we do that, don't we? We compare. 
As a matter of fact, we have a whole nation based on comparison. We, 70% of our GDP is based on consumerism. It means we buy stuff. All right? Most of what we buy, we buy because of comparison. Because what we have doesn't measure up to what we could have or what somebody else has. And I was com- perfectly content with my phone. Actually, this doesn't apply to me, but to some of you, because I could care less. I'd like to get rid of all phones. But I was perfectly content with my phone, for example, until I saw somebody else's phone. And their phone is... Matter of fact, I was having this conversation with one of my daughters. She wanted to upgrade. And I said, so what does this one do that you, the one you have now doesn't? You know, it's an upgrade. Oh, well, this one has a finger scan. You can scan, you, you unlock it with your finger. I'm thinking, okay. So, so finger scan is worth $700 or $600 or whatever it is, right? No, it's not. Um, so anyway, but w- do you understand we're in a culture where comparison is a way of life? We're always compared. And it's not just in the stuff that we buy. We compare our jobs. We compare our incomes. We compare our weight, our looks, our skin tone, our hair color. We compare our family, whether we have one, whether we don't have one. Do you have children? Do you have more children, less children, no children? Are you married? Are you unmarried? Are you divorced, single, whatever? We compare all of these things. And the challenge that we have is that we talk about not being offended with Jesus. One of the areas that's easiest to be offended is not just the choices he makes for me, but the choices he makes for someone else. Look with me. This verse is one of those apps, one of the applications of God's word that's changed my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is being challenged in Corinth. There are those there who are challenging his, apostles, his apostleship, his, his authority, if you will. And he's writing to the church there at Corinth, and he's explaining some things to them. But in verse 12, there's a truth that's kind of buried in this conversation, in the context of this conversation, that if you read through it too quickly, you'll miss it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. In other words, there are those who are tooting their own horn, and we don't want to compare ourselves to them. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Another translation says they are not wise. They are foolish. If you and I, or anyone, Paul is referring to others, if you and I compare ourselves to someone else, we are not wise. We are not wise. He said, but Troy, shouldn't we allow other people to inspire us? Absolutely. Many of you inspire me in the things that you do, the choices that you make, um, the disciplines that you build. Those things, they're inspiring. We can be inspired by one another, but we can't compare ourselves with one another. We don't compare. We don't measure. I can't measure me by you, and you can't measure you by me. Or anybody else with that. And yet, it's such a normal part of our life, is to measure ourselves by someone else. And here's the deal. We, it works two ways. I measure myself by you, 
All right, I'm looking and thinking, oh, I don't have, you have this, I don't have this. You do this well, I don't do that well. We compare, we measure. But then there's the flip side, and I look at other people and think, well, you don't measure up because I'm comparing you to whatever standard I've chosen, whether it's me or somebody else. And so you don't meet that standard. So we compare that way. Either way you go, the Scripture says you're unwise. I want you to think about something. In the relationships in your life, how would they look? Would they look very different? if comparison was not a part of it. If you've got children, if you've got multiple children, one of the most devastating things that you can do, and it's easy to fall in this trap, is you start comparing your children. Why can't you be like your big brother? Why can't you be like your little sister? Why can't you be... And some of you you are adults now, but you can still hear those words, can't you? It's devastating. You know why they can't be like them? Because they aren't them. They were never meant to be like them. They were never... Now, there are certain qualities that we all can have in our life, but even in those qualities, they manifest themselves differently because we're different people, different personalities, different giftings, different way that we view and look at life. We compare ourselves among ourselves. We measure ourselves by ourselves, and we are not wise. You say, Troy, why does the Scripture say that we aren't wise if we do this? Do you remember the seven churches in the book of Revelation? There are letters written to each of the seven churches. It starts in Revelation chapter 2 with the, the church at Ephesus. If you look at those seven churches, with the exception of Philadelphia, who really the Lord had no correction for, he had no complaint against the church at Philadelphia. But the other six, every one of them thought, they saw, some, they saw themselves one way, and God says, I see you another way. Every single one of them. In Ephesus, they thought, we work hard, and we do the right things. And the Lord said, yes, you do, but you don't love me or each other the way you used to, and I have something against you. So your measurement, you're thinking, hey, I'm doing really well. I am, I'm working hard. I'm doing the right things. And, and the Lord says, you don't love. You don't love me, and you don't love other people. So I've got to complain against you. It doesn't matter that you're doing these other things. You're measuring by the wrong standard. He writes to the church at Smyrna and says, you think you're poor, but I say you're rich. And then Laodicea, they say, we think we're rich. And the Lord says, no, you're poor. At Pergamum, he writes to them and they say, we have sound doctrine. We stand on the truth. We stand against the enemy and everything he brings. And the Lord says, yeah, you got a problem, though. You've allowed false teaching to come in the back door and you won't deal with these Nicolaitans. And so, yeah, you stand, you're willing to resist up to death out here, but you've invited it in the back door, and it's right there in your midst. Can, you, can I tell you something that, I, I can say it, it won't matter, but if the Lord reveals this to you, it will change your life, that you and I don't see correctly. We don't see correctly. We don't see ourselves correctly, and we don't see other people correctly. The only way that you can see other people or yourselves correctly is if the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to be able to do that. Unless he does something supernatural to the way you see. Because otherwise you're going to look at people, I'm going to look at people through a lens of how we measure what we think is important. And generally, our our measure is selfish. I look at people and I measure them based on how it benefits me. All of those churches, every single one of them, when the Spirit was writing a letter to each one, said, your vision is messed up, you don't see correctly. 
Why? Because you're comparing yourself. You're looking around and thinking, hey, our church is great. Because look at what we do and this church isn't doing. Or this church... We, years ago, had a habit that many churches had where we would put these little boards up on the front. Guys, remember the boards that were on the front of the church? We'd put attendance, both church attendance, Sunday school attendance, giving, all those things went on the board. And if it's going up, we're doing good, and we pat ourselves on the back. Well, if it happens to go down, ooh, we're doing bad. And, and then pastors like me, we get up, and we're doing bad, and whip a little bit, and let's whip it back up. We need to do good. We need to do better. And we feel like we're doing really great, and then we look around and see another church. Well, they're way below us. Oh, I feel good. I see another church. They're way below Oh, we're not doing great. We compare ourselves among ourselves, and we are not wise. As a matter of fact, often the only way we know to compare, the only way we know to measure is by a numerical standard. Years ago, the convention had this slogan, a million more in 64, and everyone a tither. Some of you are old enough to remember that. I'm not, okay? I'm not that old. But some of you are old enough to remember that. A million more in 64 and everyone a tither. One old pastor said, God help us if this million's like the last million. <laughs> he was very wise. You know why? What he was getting into is the heart of it. It's not about how many, it's the work that God's doing within. It's not really how many or how much. It's the transformation, the supernatural work that God's doing within his people. But we tend to compare by these outward things that we can see. As I was praying about this message, I was like, Lord, where do you want to go with it? And I began to ask him, I said, Lord, would you give me some insight into even what you've used in my life that has been supernatural in this whole area? Because I, I have to confess to you, I have spent much of my Christian life comparing. And I felt good and satisfied when I felt like I was beating everybody else. And I was discouraged and depressed and under it when I felt like somebody else was doing better than me. You say, wait a second, that's not supposed to be a pastor and ministry. I'm telling you, one of the most competitive places you'll ever be is in church ministry. But it's no different for you and where you work. It's no different in your family, in friendships and relationships. This comparison that goes on. In most of our structures, it's set up that way. Many of your, in your work structures, it's set up. There's, there's a comparison thing that, that goes on. Not all, but in many. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's not like you're going to go fix it or change it. But I don't have to live under it. I don't have to be controlled by it. There, there were years where whether or not I was encouraged on Sunday afternoon was dependent upon how many people showed up on Sunday morning. If it was full, if there were a lot of people, I was up. I was excited. It was a great day. If it was down, it was an awful day. And I'll never forget one day, <clears throat> I, I was one Sunday afternoon, one Sunday evening, and it had been an awful day by my standard. And I remember I was crying out to the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, I'm so sick and tired. I can't live this way. This up and down, up and down. I, and I have no control over attendance. I have no control over any of these things, Lord. And yet my well-being, 
how I feel is connected to this up or down. And I remember crying out and said, Lord, would you do something in me? Would you help me? Because I can't live like this. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you look at someone or you look at a picture of something and your mood goes down because immediately you think, I don't look like that. Or you look at something that someone has and you think, and immediately you're discouraged and depressed because I don't have that. And I'll tell you, it's even gotten worse now because of the advent of social media. Because it's out there. And you know what social media is? It's just an avenue for comparison. That's all it is. Look at how great my life is, and by implication, how bad and rotten yours is. We don't say that. I mean, that's not on your Facebook post. But that's what we're saying. Everybody look at me. My life is great. Wish yours was this good. Always remember, too, that's one second. And how many of you have taken those family photos where everybody's smiling, but you know what was happening right before and right after, all right? But for 12 seconds, we all got together and smiled, all right? And it looked great. But you know the whole story. Facebook doesn't tell the whole story. It gives you a snapshot. It's like the enemy. It gives you a picture, but it's not an accurate picture. With the advent of social media, comparison has increased. We used to compare. We just had a much smaller circle to do it in. Now it's much bigger. What did the Lord begin to speak to my heart? What did he do? I'll share it with you. Turn with me to John. John chapter 21. I love Peter. You know why I love Peter? Because every screw-up I've ever even thought about, Peter did. All right? Every place I've messed up, Peter did it already. And usually it's recorded for us. When we get to heaven, we need to go thank Peter. All right? We really do. Because otherwise, we would think everybody's perfect. Peter lets you see, no, they're not. I was talking to Brian earlier, and they stopped by Corey Tim Boone's home when they were in Europe. And, and they were talking about the difference between Corey and Betsy. If you've never read, read, read The Hiding Place or any of Corey's books, you understand Betsy, her older sister, she really was like an angel. I mean, she really was the epitome of a believer who had faith and trusted God and was loving and kind. And she died in, in the prison camp. Corey didn't. And Corey was more like me. She was the one that messed up every time you turned around and was saying the wrong thing. And usually, you know, she was trying to do the right thing, but her heart on the inside was like, I don't really want to do this. And that's what you love about God is he loves to take those of us who mess up and who are always messing up and we don't look like the perfect Christian and we don't do it the right way. And he says, I want to demonstrate my power through you. I want to show you who I am because I'm not interested in what you can do. I want to show you what I can do. John chapter 21. Jesus is risen from the grave. Just to set the context, the guys go fishing. Jesus shows up. Tells them to fish over here. They catch a bunch of... They hadn't caught anything. He tells them they catch a bunch of fish. Look with me in verse 15. Now they're back on shore and they're eating. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it the third time. Why was he grieved? Because Peter had denied the Lord three times. Peter was grieved because he said it the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. 
you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter was, according to church history, was crucified. As a matter of fact, church history says that Peter not only was crucified, but he had them crucify him upside down. This is not in scripture. This is part of church history and some of the writings that we have. But it is said that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And so he asked them to crucify him upside down. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus says to Peter, after he told him how he's going to die, what's going to happen later in his life, what the call is and the direction is for his life, he says, now follow me, Peter. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. John's referring to himself. Yeah, I know he loves them all, but he really loves me. All right? And so John says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, he was following them, the one whom also he had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So John's telling you who he is, and he's telling you how close he was to Jesus and how he asked this question at the Lord's Supper. When Peter saw him, John, he said, Jesus, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? You've just told me that I'm going to be taken where I don't want to go, and other people are going to dress me. I'm not going to be able to do the basic things for myself. Every, every dignity that I can imagine is going to be taken away from me. All right, You said that's what it's going to mean to follow you, Jesus. What about him? What's it going to cost him to follow you, Jesus? It's one thing, okay, I, may, I can accept the fact you're saying this to me, but what about him? Don't you identify with John? I mean with Peter? All right, Lord, okay, you said I've got to do this, but what about him? What are you going to do in his life? Jesus goes on, he says, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. How does Jesus want to deal with the comparison? the comparison that you and I do in our life. He wants to speak to us directly and to hear his voice and to be able to say, no matter what I do in anybody else's life, you follow me. You follow me. The only weapon that I know against this comparison thing, the only thing that I know that I have seen any success in my own life has been prayer, but it's not just any kind of prayer. It's a prayer that comes to the Lord and says, Lord, here's what I'm wrestling with. Peter did. Peter, he was honest enough to say, Lord, it's one thing. I hear what you said to me. It's, it's, that's one thing. But Lord, now I'm looking over here. What about John? What about these others? What, what are you going to make? What do they have to go through? Okay, I get it, but he should have something that is equally as bad. If this is what you're requiring of me, you should at least require that of him. And Jesus says, don't worry about John. I'll take care of John. And by the way, John doesn't die on a cross. He gets boiled in a a boiling vat of oil, but doesn't die. And so then they exile him to an island in Patmos where he writes the book of Revelation. 
All right? His, I'm not sure his was, I'm, I'm not sure, boiling, crucifixion, I, I'm not sure I'd pick one over the other. All right? You've got all of these issues and things going on. But here's the deal. If you and I are trying to make life measure out equally, now it will always be a stumbling block to you. And you will not be able to follow Jesus. You won't be able to. Because you can't make life fair. You can't make it equal. All men may have been created equal, but life is not equal. It isn't. And if you and I spend our lives trying to make it equal, then we're constantly stumbling and being offended in Jesus. Constantly. Because it's not. How many of you right now, you don't even have to think, where you can think of a situation in your life or someone close to you where life just isn't fair and it isn't equal? All right? I saw some young hands back there go up fast. All right? Some of the teenagers over here, yeah, you just described my parents. Life isn't fair. All right? They're not fair. I know. I also know it doesn't help at all for your parents to tell you life's not fair, but we get pleasure out of saying it. Okay? (laughs) All right? It doesn't help you, but it helps us a whole lot. I get that. It's not fair. It's not equal. We want to make it that way. We are now in a culture that's trying to make everything fair and equal. It is not. It never will be. Not now. One day, it will all measure out because the Lord will take care of that. But not now. So what do I do now? I come back to the Lord. And I shared this with someone this week. There have been days in my life where I went to the Lord 50 times in a day. In fact, I'm not exaggerating. 50 times, I come back and say, here I am again, Lord. I am a mess, and I'm struggling with this. And what do you want to say? And I listen to his voice. I just listen to what he's going to say. And, and we're probably going to talk about that, too. When I talk about listening to his voice, we'll talk about that in the course of this series. What that means, what that looks like. I'll tell you this just for today. It'll help you in your start, because if you're going to the Lord and asking him to speak to you, these two things I have found critical. In my opinion, these are the two most important things of hearing God's voice. I could be wrong. This is my opinion. I believe I can biblically justify it, but it is my opinion. The two most important things. Number one, you have to come with a willingness to hear. You have to be willing to hear. Most of us are not willing to hear anything except what I want to hear. Jesus, I'm willing to hear your voice as long as you say what I want you to say. He doesn't speak. Those, again, those of you who are parents, when, you're, when your child, especially as they get older, when they come to you with that attitude, how does it go over? Not really well. And it doesn't with the Lord. When you and I come, it's like, I want to hear what you have to say as long as you're going to tell me what I want to hear. No, I come to the place and say, Lord, this is what I really want, but I'm willing to lay that down. I want to hear what you have to say. Whatever it is, whether I like it or dislike it, whatever it means, I want to hear. I really want to hear what you have to say. You must start there. George Mueller said it this way, you must get your heart in such a place that you have no will of your own. That's hard to do. And, and I'm telling you, that's a process, something that God does in your life. But get your heart to a place you have no will of your own. Because as long as I have my will, I'm going to try to superimpose it over his. That's... That is so vitally key to being able to hear the Lord. All right? Here's the second thing that I think is crucial when it comes to hearing the Lord. There has to be a change 
uh, how do I want to say this? I often want the Lord to speak to me on my timetable while I'm in the midst of my agenda, when I'm doing what I already want to do and I'm busy about, Lord, I've got all this to do today, so if you don't mind sticking a word in there somewhere while I'm along the way, if, if you would do that for me, that'd be great. It has been my experience that the Lord does, I don't hear him speak very well under those circumstances. There has to be a willingness to say, you know what, I'll rearrange my schedule, Lord, to hear you speak. I'll rearrange it. I'll change this to hear. Now, does the Lord sometimes speak to you just as you're driving down the road on the way to the next? Yes, I've had him do that before. But usually it comes after a time where I stopped and talked to him for a little bit and listened for a little bit and said, Lord, I'm, I, I'm willing to rearrange my schedule to have an encounter with you. you. Again, this is my opinion but I don't believe you'll be real effective in hearing his voice if you're not willing to change any of your agenda. Because there's no room for him. There's no place for him in all that. And you've made it clear you're more interested in your agenda than what he has to say. These two things, I believe, are crucial and vital when you're listening for God to speak. And we'll talk about more if we have a message on this. We'll talk about how he speaks and what that looks like and what it sounds like and all of that. But in order to deal with this comparison, you come to a place where you say, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say, regardless of what you're doing with somebody else. I want you to hear, I want to hear what you have to say to me and what you're doing in me. Can I tell you, I wouldn't, I don't want to repeat it, okay? I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not a sadist. I don't want to repeat the experiences where God began to work this into my life, but I wouldn't take anything for it. Nothing. Because there are rich times with the Lord as I would come to him and I would say, Lord, I really hate this, okay? So-and-so has got this many people in their church. And quite honestly, Lord, I'm a better preacher than he is. All right? Now again, it's not true necessarily, but that's how I felt. And you think, you're wicked. I know I'm wicked. I'm hoping you'll get that point that you're wicked too. All right? I know it. I know that apart from a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in me, I will always do the wrong thing and think the wrong thing and believe the wrong thing. And so do you. It's who we are. We are new creatures in Christ, but apart from the work of His Holy Spirit in them, we still act like the old ones. I still live like the old one apart from the supernatural work of His Spirit in me. Hadn't that been your experience? And the Lord began to take me through some of these things. And first of all, he would, He'd humble me. And He'd say, Troy, you're not all that. You're not really that good at all. I thought I was. But people my whole life had told me I was pretty good at this or that or the other, and I believed them. The Lord said, no. You're really not that good. Well, Lord, that's not encouraging. That's, you're supposed to build me up, Lord. What about my self-esteem? He said, I don't want you to have esteem in yourself. I want you to have esteem in me. I want you to esteem me. And my work in you. 
Not you. You say, Troy, I don't think I want to live that way. That seems counterproductive. That seems harmful. That seems bad on, on just who you are and as a person. Because you've got to love yourself. And again, folks, don't listen to the voices around you in this culture. If you love yourself, you'll never love him. You love him, you'll know how to love yourself. Because you will see yourself through his eyes, not yours or anybody else's. And when he talks to you and tells you how he loves you, then you'll love yourself in the right way, in the appropriate way. Until then, it's just about your ego and my ego. The Lord says, I want to deal with all of that in you. Can I tell you that I don't believe comparison ever goes away? Has anybody gotten to the point where you never have comparison with someone else? Is there anybody here? Because I want to have lunch with you afterward and see how you did that. I don't think it ever goes away. But I can tell you this, there's victory. There's victory. So that it doesn't control me. It may come from time to time. It still pops its head up. I go to a gathering of pastors, and the first question you're going to get, how many are you running in your church, brother? Don't ask me that. Don't call me brother. Um, why? Why? Because you get aggravated. It's like, ah, you want to compare to see if you're doing better or worse than I am, or if I'm doing as well as you are. It's, it's in us. And we do the same thing. You say, well, we don't have that in my profession. Yeah, you do. It just may look different. You know, in your profession, it's what car you drive, how big your house is, or what vacations you took, and where you went on your vacation. Well, I went to this place. Well, that's really nice, but I went to Europe. Well, that's really nice, but I went to the moon. You know, whatever. You know. <clears throat> you see, it's everywhere. It's around us. You come back to Jesus. Peter came back and he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, Peter, don't worry about him. You've got to take your eyes off of him and look at me, follow me, and I will do in you what you can't even imagine, and I promise you it'll be well worth it. If you, someone once told me, and I have never forgotten it, God's will, his plan for my life is exactly what I would want if I knew all the facts. But I don't. I don't know all the facts, and neither do you. So often God's will looks messed up to us because I don't know all the facts. So I come, as we sang this morning, with open-handed trust. I want you to bow your heads with me, and Lori, I'm going to ask you to come play. Some of you, this morning, you really understand because you... You would say, if you're honest, you would say, comparison is a huge part of my life. It's a huge part. I wrestle with it constantly. I'm comparing myself to someone else. I don't feel like I measure up. Are you willing to go to Jesus and hear what he has to say? Now, you could say, well, everybody does it. Yeah, but that's no reason for me to continue doing it just because everybody else does it. I could go to Jesus and have something new. 
Some of you really wrestle with being critical, extremely critical of other people because of comparison. Because they don't measure up to whatever standard you've applied. Some of us as parents really have to struggle with that. I struggle with it. I sometimes put unrealistic expectations on my children. Standards of measurement that didn't come from the Lord. They came from me. Are you willing to go to the Lord and let Him speak? Can you come to Jesus this morning and say, Lord, it's okay whatever path you've chosen for John. John represents everybody else in your life. It's okay the path you've chosen for John. All I want to hear you say is the path you've chosen for me. And I'll receive that. I'll receive what you want to do in me. And Lord, I recognize that this isn't the last time this is going to, going to pop up. In all likelihood, you'll deal with it again today. But every time I'm going to run to you, Jesus, I want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to come and just pour my heart out before you and listen for your word to me. You're going to tell me how you want me to follow you and I'm going to be listening for that. I saw someone here a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen them in several years. We were sitting and we were talking and they looked at me and I knew they kept staring at me and I thought maybe I, you know, I don't know, had food on my mouth or, you know, something was going on and they kept staring at me. And finally they just spoke and said, you know, you're different. You seem different. You seem more at rest, more peaceful. And I smiled and I said, I am. I'm not always at rest and peaceful, don't get me wrong. But there is a sense of peace and rest that I've never known before. And I believe that it's the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings when I wrestle with and deal with this comparison. I believe on the other side of this is a peace and a rest that we've never experienced before. So be willing to wrestle with it. Be willing to go there. Let the Lord speak to it. Quit trying to change the world because it's going to keep on doing it. It's going to keep on comparing. You can't change it. But you can change. You can be different in the midst of it. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning. We're all in different places with this. But I pray, Jesus, that as you're speaking, we're listening. We're hearing what you're saying. And that we'll keep on listening. And that we'll keep on coming back as many times as is necessary. We'll keep coming to you. That we won't 
We won't get weary. We won't get tired or frustrated. We'll just come back to you. Hear what you have to say. Lord, give us eyes to recognize where we have been comparing and how damaging it is. Lord, show us relationships that we've damaged because of comparison. Lord, would you by your spirit begin the healing process in those? It may take some time, Lord, and we understand that. But would you begin that today? Lord, those of us who have damaged those close to us because of comparison, would you give us the opportunity to make it right? Would you do a supernatural work in us that those around us will begin to see? And Lord, we pray for a balance that only you can bring. Lord, you have to do that. Because comparison, measuring ourselves by ourselves, is, it, it's not wise. But Lord, an apathy and complacency is not wise either. So Lord, there's a balance that only you can bring. And we ask for it.